We're in our Kingdom series, Kingdom Come, and last week we talked about our unmatchable king, and so if there's a kingdom, there's a king, and so kind of just zoomed in on the unmatchable king last week, talked about how Jesus is the king of kings, there is no greater king, Uh, any king or ruler or authority on earth that has ever existed is under his kingship or authority, Uh, he is the servant king, Um, he didn't come to set up a kingdom like most expected. He came serving and humbly and poured himself out uh, as an example for us, but also as a way to identify with us, um, taking on um, flesh, living as a man. And so uh, not only was he the servant king, he was the crucified king, laying down his life, uh, that ultimate kind of submission and, and sacrifice um, and service. Uh, but he didn't stay dead. Uh, we said he's also the, the, the resurrected king. And so... Uh, he reigns forever. He is on the throne forever. And so uh, we uh, would do well to put all of our hopes in this king, this unmatchable king. Um, remember, as we talk about the kingdom, that the kingdom is God's reign through God's people over God's place. Uh, and so that definition kind of carries us through uh, the series. Um, also remember that there's a book that these messages are uh, tracking with uh, called Seek First by Jeremy Treat. Um, so today is uh, about chapter 4, um, and it is uh, a, not the unmatchable king, but the majestic in the mundane. Um, so not a standalone Mother's Day message, uh, but I think there's some great principles in seeing and seeking the majestic in the mundane um, that not just moms, but everybody can apply to our lives, to think that there are parts of um, life, and as a Christian life, where we start to set expectations or hopes for ourselves and think things should be a certain way, maybe a little more exciting, or a little, we, we don't see the meaning in them so much, and just becomes kind of going through the motions. Um, and so hopefully today we shed a little light on that to say that there is uh, majesty in the mundane uh, because of the kingdom of God. Um, and so if we have this unmatchable king that we talked about last week, uh, and our lives are surrendered to him, then we start to look at all of our lives Uh, how everything is submitted to his will and for his glory. And so that's what we'll talk about as we look at the majestic in the mundane. Let's read from Colossians 1, 15 through 20. um, Or I'll read it. You can follow along with your eyes. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. It says, He, speaking of Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And if that sounds familiar, because uh, it's because we all sang it a few minutes ago. Um, these words. Rob said, hey, we're singing, what's it called? All Things Together? He said, we're singing All Things Together by Andrew Peterson. I was like, cool, I don't know that song. And he's like, it's those verses that you just sent me to music. I was like, okay, good, because I thought I heard you singing those verses a little bit earlier. That makes sense, and that's really cool. 
And so as we look at the truth here from God's word, um, this passage speaking about the preeminence of Christ, the supremacy of Christ, um, but in it, we see some references to all things, everything. Um, and so we can't just look at how, uh, how amazing that is, how, how overarching that is, how all-encompassing that is, without saying, okay, well, everything includes the mundane, right? The moment by moment, the day in, day out, the things that are not so exciting or flashy. Those are also ruled over and held together by this Christ who is preeminent. Uh, and so the first thing I want to say is that everything was created through Jesus and for Jesus. We see that in verse 16. Everything was created through Jesus and for Jesus. Uh, this passage tells us that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, and the fullness of God dwells in him. It also credits creation to Jesus, who has always existed in perfect fellowship with the Father and the Spirit. So God the Son uh, present in creation, right? He has existed for eternity past, just like the Father and the Spirit. It's not like the Father created and Jesus came along later uh, or was there and sat out. No, he was an active participant in creating all things. They were creating all things and together um, in fellowship, um, the Father, Son, and the Spirit. And Paul writes here in Colossians that not only did the Son create all things, but they were created for him. So not just by him, but for him. That is, everything was created for his glory, to bring him glory. The purpose of everything is to bring glory to God. As Treat points out in chapter 4 of Seek First, he says, Trees, people, enchiladas, the solar system, marriage, guitars, everything exists for Jesus and his glory. I might have swapped out enchiladas for something else, but I get the point. Everything exists for Jesus and his glory. And so we want to take this perspective into life as kingdom citizens because it helps us to see the glory of God in the mundane and in the spectacular. This is the kingdom perspective in our lives, right? That everything exists to bring God glory. If you're familiar with Loki from the Marvel Cinematic Universe, it's putting a spin on his perspective and saying of ourselves, I am burdened with glorious purpose, right? Except uh, Loki was seeking his own glory, right, and his own glorious purpose. Uh, we're burdened with the purpose for another's glory. And not just us, but everything that has ever been created. If the kingdom of God is real and it matters, then everything matters because it's all loaded with glorious purpose. Not for the glory of the creation, but for the creator. The temptation, as always, is in the grand uh, and the mundane is to set our glory in our sights, to press hard after our glory, our kingdom, which would be fine if it were our kingdom that we we're supposed to be seeking, but it's Christ's kingdom. So it's his glory that everything is purposed for. Paul sums it up like this in Romans eleven thirty six. It may sound familiar because he also wrote this letter to the Colossians. Speaking of Jesus, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. So from him, speaking of Christ, and through him, and to him are all things. From Christ, and through Christ, and to Christ are all things. Everything exists for his glory. And it's not just a portion of everything in our lives that goes to him. 
We don't dedicate our lives to him like a performance, right? This song goes out to God, uh, without whom I wouldn't be here, um, or he was the inspiration for this moment, or that kind of thing. Uh, no, Jesus deserves preeminence or first place in every part of our lives. The scripture we read earlier says preeminent, and it'll come up more in the message as well. Just know preeminence is that, that top spot, first place. Jesus deserves first place in everything. Verse 18 in Colossians 1 refers to Jesus' resurrection as the reason that he should be preeminent or first in everything. More on this in the final point about resurrection and why he wants first place in all things. But for the next few minutes, let's focus on Jesus being preeminent in everything. Everything, everything. Not just the super spiritual moments of our lives, not just the lowest, lowest of pits where we cry out to Jesus for help because we have no other hope, um, which is all the time. But sometimes we really see we have no other hope when we cry out to God for those miracle moments. He doesn't just want first place in those moments. He wants first place in every moment. It's easier to see him or put him in first place in those times that are super spiritual highs or really spiritual lows or the lows of life. But in the everyday, moment by moment, the mundane, how do we give Jesus first place in these things? Well, it starts with not compartmentalizing him, like so much of our lives is compartmentalized. This is a point that Treat makes in chapter 4 of the book. We subdivide the things, the activities, the people, the events in our lives into categories or for different purposes, uh, different, I don't know, circles of influence, whatever it might be. We set all these little sections up in our lives. And often we put Jesus right alongside these things in his own little compartment. Like, this is the Jesus part of this area of my life. Instead of ruling over every aspect from his throne as the unmatchable king that we established he was last week. So let's consider how life would be if we surrendered every aspect to him. First, our work or vocations. We need to remember that God is at work in our work. We spend way more time in our lives at our jobs or doing our jobs than we do with the church, the gathered church, typically. So work must matter to God, and we need to know how to give Jesus first place in our work, rather than that's just something I do, and then the Jesus part of my life is later, then he's not getting all of our lives, right? One aspect of this is just remembering that we are salt and light in a dying, broken, lost world. So remaining on mission for God in the workplace is vitally important since many or most of our coworkers are not joining us for worship on Sundays. The kingdom manifested through our love and testimony to them is a strong witness and glorifies Jesus. This is not the only way to give him first place in our work. Another big component of this, the one that takes up most of our time and effort at work, is being good stewards of the jobs that we've been given. Being a faithful manager of the job God has blessed us with. This mostly means doing your best, being a good employee, doing a good job, pursuing excellence in your craft and bringing value to your home, industry, or company. I love how the author stressed that Christian is a noun, not an adjective when referring to believers in business, whether making coffee or films, etc. They are Christians making good or bad coffee, or good or bad films, not people making Christian coffee or Christian films. This is a perspective that helps us to see I am uh, ruled by Christ no matter what I do. 
It's more about pursuing excellence than branding our business as Christian. Um, not that there's anything wrong with branding your business as Christian, but the main purpose in your business is about doing it well. As Treat writes, when our work is understood within the story of the kingdom, people will want to be lawyers because they care about justice and not social status. Doctors because they care about health and not wealth. Business persons because they care about people, not profit. And artists because they value beauty and not celebrity. We are called by God to our prospective jobs, respective jobs, to use what he's given us to serve others and bring value to our society. This is a kingdom perspective on work that gives Jesus first place. Secondly, rest. First is our work, second our rest. Busyness plagues so many, and Christians are often no different from the world in this arena. You think about how we are to look uh, sometimes peculiar, peculiarly different. Is that a peculiarly? Uh, I was going to ask also, is mundanity a word? If it's insane and insanity, is it mundane and mundanity? I don't know. Y'all think about that. Somebody Google it, but still pay attention. So busyness is something that plagues not just the secular world or non-Christian world, but the Christian world as well. We certainly need some balance, because I'm not saying we should ignore or disregard work. We just said that we should devote all of our work to the Lord and work as if we're working unto the Lord. Just like in the art of neighboring, Christians should be the best neighbors in work. Christians should be the best employees, right, or the best managers. So if work is important, we don't neglect it, but also we need this balance of rest. In Scripture, God has shown us that Sabbath is the kingdom answer to busyness. Sabbath is this concept of resting from your work as a way to display and exercise our faith. Resting by faith shows that, yes, we work hard, but we trust God. Resting by faith reminds us that our identity is received, not achieved. This was from the book as well. I love that. Our identity in Christ is received, not achieved. Not achieved by us, anyway. And so we receive it. We step into it. We walk in it. But we don't earn it. Who we are and whose we are are not defined by our accomplishments, but by God's grace and Jesus' saving work in our lives. So when we rest, we remind ourselves that God is sovereign and we're not. That the world keeps turning if we take a break, and it's still, still ruled by King Jesus either way, whether we're working or resting. And so rest is built into who we are as humans. It's part of the design that God has built into humanity. He modeled us for us in creation. On the seventh day, he rested from his work. So as we rest, we show others that we trust that God is in control and he's sovereign over everything. We can view our recreation this way as well. Sports, uh, specifically in the book, or just play in general, are a gift from God to be enjoyed. Recreation is a good gift from our good, good father. And much like our work, play for the believer isn't about branding our recreation as Christian, but about enjoying the gift and giving glory to the giver. It's making sure we don't make an idol out of our sports or our hobbies or our recreation. They are good, but when we set good things up as ultimate things, we make idols out of them, and our worship is misplaced. The better and healthier and more God-glorifying approach can be summed up like this from page 74 of Seek First. This world is the playground of God's goodness in the arena of his glory. 
This frames all of our recreation, competition, play, uh, all of that as ways to enjoy God's grace toward us. This is half of our church's mission, right? To enjoy the grace of God. Similarly to play, food is a good gift that we often treat as an idol. We can abuse this gift or view it as mundane and unimportant, but neither of those are the kingdom approach to food. As we read in chapter 4 of Seek First, God could have made food bland, and some of it is, but he also created things to add flavor, spicy, sweet, salty, etc. And he created us to enjoy flavor. We are wired to enjoy these good gifts. This is not an accident. We read in Revelation 19 that the kingdom is described as a great feast. God equates feasting with joy and celebration. He has designed us to enjoy these great graces, and he has designed these graces to be enjoyed. If we lose this perspective on food as something that stirs us to worship God and instead causes us to worship the food itself, we find ourselves again drifting towards idolatry. An unhealthy relationship with food is not what God intended. He has made it enjoyable for a reason. Now, we already spent an entire series on the value of meals, so I won't belabor that point. Uh, But meals can be viewed as ministry. They're another big way to use or enjoy food to the glory of Jesus. Um, Sharing food with someone else and just being on mission in those things, in those times. Um, Lastly, art. Art probably doesn't fall into the category of mundane for most people. Um, But they might see it as kind of the other side of the spectrum and say it's, it's just unnecessary. Uh, it can be written off as superfluous. Uh, when we're trying to focus on what really matters, what's really important, and you know, the things that, we, that are nece- necessary, the necessities of life, and uh, the things that you know, lead to survival, we don't think about art. What's really important in the grand scheme of eternity, right? What role does art play in that? Well, much like food is not simply just a tool for survival, but meant to be enjoyed, it's a grace that God's given us that food is enjoyable, not just sustaining. Art and beauty are gifts from God that reflect his own beauty and creativity. When we create or even just enjoy art, the image of our creator in us is reflected. We bear his image, so it makes sense that we would enjoy beautiful things. So all of life work, play, rest, food, art, etc., from the mundane to the extraordinary, are all opportunities to give Jesus first place and see him glorified. And this is all on a trajectory that we read about in Colossians 1.20. Jesus is reconciling all things to himself. I mentioned earlier that it said he was resurrected, that he might um, reconcile all things to himself that he is the firstborn from the dead. So in Jesus being um, resurrected, his human form now glorified, he gives us this picture of what he intends to do with all of creation, right? To recreate. For us to be given resurrected, glorified bodies one day, and for the earth to be destroyed and recreated for a new earth, a new creation It's all pointing us to this redemptive, reconciling purpose of Jesus. He's reconciling everything to himself. As we seek God's kingdom and give Jesus first place in all these areas, the kingdom is on display. Because in eternity, 
when the kingdom is fully realized and everything as, is as it should be, all these things will be fully redeemed unto him. Work, play, rest, food, art will all be redeemed for Jesus just as we will be fully redeemed to enjoy him for all eternity. I often try to remind us that everything it means to be human will be redeemed in glory, right? In our resurrected bodies, everything that means to be human as God intended will be redeemed in us. Without sadness, sickness, brokenness, all the good things will be redeemed and reconciled to Christ. The same is true about creation and all these good gifts we've discussed today. Work, play, rest, food, art. I believe all the good aspects of those things will be created for us to enjoy for all eternity. That's why God allows us to enjoy them now, to give us a glimpse, a taste of what things ought to be in his kingdom. The same is true, right, about creation and all these good gifts. Everything it means to be God's good creation will be redeemed. It will all be reconciled to him, because as we read earlier, all things are from him, through him, and to him. He was there before the beginning, at the beginning, creating all things, and that they were created for him. And as we are part of his kingdom, we need to look at everything from the mundane to the spectacular as in submission to his glorious purpose. How has God intended for us to treat our neighbors? How has God intended us to spend or save our money? How has God intended for us to work to relate to our bosses or to our subordinates, to our children, to our spouses? How has God intended for us to interact with beauty and art around us, to create, to compete, to play, to rest? How can we reflect God's kingdom in all of these things, the majestic in the mundane? Let's pray. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you, as always, for just a time and a place to gather in your name, to, to freely assemble and, and open your word and sing praises to you and pray to you, to greet one another, to love one another. God, I thank you for the truth of your word. I thank you for just amazing passages like we read today, not even... Um, diving into all the depths of what it means that Jesus holds all things together. But thank you for showing us that, that all things matter because they matter to you. All things are, are marked with, with a uh, redemptive potential. And so, God, I pray that you would just continue to show us day in and day out, moment by moment, not just when the times we're gathered to sing to you or opening our Bibles to read or listen to someone teach about you, but when we're walking down the street or mowing the yard or doing the dishes or whatever it might be, that you would remind us that there is not a single inch of creation or beyond that you're not sovereign over, that you don't want to redeem or reconcile. And as citizens of your kingdom, God, you, you've called us as your, uh, your church, your people, 
to pursue these redemptive purposes, to show others and to enjoy what you've given us in these graces, how things ought to be when you are ruling and reigning over everything. So God, I pray for the families in this room, those who couldn't be with us this morning, that our church would just be characterized by um, this type of, of life, this type of living. That the mundane is not um, inconsequential. That the mundane, the everyday moments, they matter. That what you've called us to do matters. Our work matters. Our rest matters. Our play matters. How we enjoy food, how we relate to food, it matters. How we view art, how we celebrate beauty, creativity, they matter. They're reflections of your character, they're reflections of your kingdom. They're good gifts which remind us of your good character, your heart towards us. So I, I pray, God, that when people see us, interact with us, that they would understand, they would realize that our, our lives are surrendered to an unmatchable king and everything in our lives is surrendered to your purposes and for your glory. And I ask these things and pray these things in the name of our unmatchable king, Jesus Christ. Amen.